I'm Agnes Kurtzels. I'm Whitney Winter. And my name is Claire Horning. You're listening to the Ag Knowledge Podcast. Welcome to this week's Ag Knowledge Podcast. This week, I think we're going to have a bit of a shorter podcast. Um, We're just going to be talking about some current events going on. I know I'm going to be giving kind of an update on the avian influenza outbreak that's been going on. Also talking about John Deere releasing some programming that can help farmers during the right to repair lawsuits that are going on right now. But to get started, um, just to go back to the avian influenza, which we talked about a couple weeks ago now, but the CDC says that currently, as of April 4th, uh, there's been 22 million poultry affected, which is a very large number. That's obviously going to be affecting prices in stores and, and grocery stores. And that has within 23 states. And then there's been 482 bird flu detections in wild birds. Obviously, that's very low, but um, they are outdoors. And usually the flocks aren't nearly as big as like a a poultry farm per se. Um, And that's within 28 states. So I think we're going to see that number go up. It's just I think it's a bit harder to keep track of because like you can't really keep track of wild birds. They just like grab a couple and, you know, test them, but... Then they're just going to release them because, like, what can you do? Yeah. Well, even if I'm assuming it's mostly like people calling in being like, hey, there's this bird like it's acting funny, bro. (laughs) (laughs) This bird is like trying not to drown in the pond right now. And then they'll like have someone come out or or they'll test a bird that had just happened to die on the property or something. Mm -hmm. But I think that number is probably not very accurate. Uh, Another article from Western Farmer Stockman or from FarmProgress.com. It says the avian flu is spreading in the West. So we've obviously seen uh, quite a few like number of barns in the Midwest, you know, say that they've had to get rid of a large flocks and barns and stuff. But now it's moved to Wyoming, Colorado and British Columbia. And in the Midwest and East, there's at least seven million chick- chickens and turkeys having been culled. But authorities in Wyoming and Colorado had announced in late March that they had confirmed HPAI in their wild snow and Ross geese and several mixed non-commercial flocks. A bird found in British Columbia was confirmed to be infected with the European strain of H5N1, which is avian influenza. Mm -hmm. But they think that the disease may have presented in the Pacific flyaway, which is just the traveling path of the birds. The migration pattern. I know a lot of people had asked me in classes, like how, like what do they do with the birds? And we kind of, and we talked quite a bit about it in the last podcast, but just to, you know, if you didn't get that one, these birds, especially in these barns and stuff, there's not much you can do. There's no cure. There's nothing. And by the time you notice the symptoms, usually it's too late anyway. So a lot of the birds are euthanized, which is why a lot of the prices of chicken, turkeys and everything, the prices are probably going to go up. Prices are already going up with inflation. But this article from Forbes says that egg prices are up 52% as the avian flu has affected birds across all the state. I think we're going to notice that, especially since Easter is getting closer and everyone loves to color eggs. Everyone loves their doubled eggs. I think we're going to see that um, pretty heavily in the stores with uh, the price increase and then just the lack of eggs on the shelves. And a lot of people also like making desserts for the Easter. So, Oh, yeah. For Easter. Like custard yeah. and all that. And that takes a lot of eggs. Even especially like pies for like, and stuff. 
Yeah, I didn't even like think of desserts. I was just thinking of like the plain eggs. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just another reason for people who don't want to purchase the eggs in the store because of the rising prices is another way to support their local farmers. Because a lot of people I know around us have had an abundance of extra eggs each week because it's been nice out and we had a very mild winter. Yeah, a lot of eggs are like ramping or a lot of eggs. Wow. A lot of chickens are like um, coming back into their laying season. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you're already going to spend four bucks in the store for eggs, why not get farm fresh eggs and support, you know, your local farmer? Mm -hmm. And maybe that's something like you don't know there's any around you, but like always ask because I know if you have one chicken, usually there's 12 other ones. So, (laughs) well, I know nowadays, um, since it's the beginning of April, they're going to be having uh, on the weekends and even during the week, the farm. Farmer's markets? Farmer's market. Yes. Thank you. And that'll be starting soon. So if you don't know anyone near you, you can always go there. You can always go there and find someone who does have a surplus of eggs. And I know like within the last week, there has only been a handful of counties in Nebraska that have had positive cases of the bird flu. So I think they were... I was going to say if you have a list, because I know Cedar has, and I know... Cedar and Holt uh, up here, but then uh, Douglas Butler, Merrick, and Lancaster. And I'm getting this information from KETV out of Omaha. Okay. So just only a handful of counties so far have had those positive cases. Yeah. And I know in South Dakota over like our past weekend, which was like, I think the first, the second yeah. and third, mm-hmm. um, South Dakota had said that I think they had 55,000 birds, um, one commercial turkey operation and then one chicken operation that... They had cold because of it. But I think that we might also see an effect on the Thanksgiving, like, turkey mm, prices yeah, and everything. Because yep. right now those would be growing. Mm-hmm. So And with shipping prices, everything's going to go up. Yeah, and gas prices. Yeah, everything is just accumulating to make everything so much more pricey. Claire is shaking her head. She's so upset. <laughs> We're all broke college students, so... Going home on the weekends isn't always an option for us. Agnes doesn't live too far from campus, but Claire and I have to drive quite a ways to get home. So not seeing our family has taken a toll on just the end of the semester since we're all graduating. What are your thoughts about how like county fairs in the summer are going to be affected by this? Do you think it'll be less of a problem by then, more of a problem by then? Well, right now we've seen a lot of zoos are actually like closing their avian um, aviaries. And then they're also like closing down like their penguin exhibits and everything to help prevent the spread in the zoos. And then um, a lot of like chicken shows are canceling to help prevent the spread at those kind of things. Hopefully it's over by July. I don't remember how long the one in 2015 lasted. That one, they still canceled stuff at fairs just to be on the safe side, which is fair because you don't... (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean that play on words, but I assume that they will also continue to like cancel it just to be on the safe side. But again, that kind of probably depends on the county you're coming from and stuff too. I think if they don't decide to cancel it altogether, they might do a Zoom option. I know they did that in some counties back in 2015 when we had the first outbreak. So it still gives 4-Hers and FFA members the chance to show off their hard work that they've put in for so many months and even years if they have grown their flock. 
Yeah, I mean, I assume they would because Zoom has become su- become such a large thing um, mm-hmm. during COVID. So I would hope they would give that option if they you know, don't do regular shows. I know at Cedar County, like you could send a video in during that year. You could send in a video of like your chicken and like they told you like poses and stuff mm-hmm. that they would need in the video, which kind of like a showmanship. Video. Yeah, they would judge off of those videos, which I, it's kind of hard to judge an animal off a of video, but it's yeah. better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, that's true. But if you see any signs or symptoms of the avian flu, you can call the NDA at 402-471-2351 or the USDA at 866-536-7593 for any signs and symptoms that you're seeing in your flock or if you see it and maybe your grandparents and and if you're driving out around town or around town out in the country and you see some geese or something yep and you see one that's maybe acting off or you, you can always contact your veterinarian for like animals you own or a wildlife officer for any like wild populations that you see and so far there have been no human cases so mm-hmm. that hasn't been a factor playing into it yet it, it is pretty hard for people to get it but it's still a chance which a lot of people that work in poultry barns already have been taking measures because um, biosecurity is obviously very important for those barns but you know it, in your own home flock you might not think about like Claire said last time wearing gloves to go out and collect eggs but that's something maybe just to make sure you're washing your hands and making sure you're looking at your flock and paying attention to a bird that may seem a little sick. Um, I guess moving on. So we talked about a while ago um, the lawsuit that's going on right now with John Deere and I believe Tesla, but I'm not sure because we were mostly focusing on John Deere, on the right to repair lawsuit that was going on. So the right to repair lawsuit is people basically wanting the right to repair their equipment or the the specifically the computer part of their equipment that specifically John Deere, but there's other other companies out there too. I know I'm, it kind of sounds like I'm picking on John Deere, but they're the biggest name right now. Basically, if there's something wrong with your tractor, it'll tell you like take it to the closest John Deere dealership to have it dead and fixed. But John Deere is selling a machine servicing software to farmers um, during these right to repair complaints. According to this article from the Des Moines Register, this was published on March 24th. So basically the software uh, will be released in May and farmers and independent, independent repair shops will be able to buy it through an online store version of their customer service advisor diagnostic service tool. And it says it will follow up in 2023 with an enhanced customer solution, allowing owners and independent mechanics to download the software update to the machines from the Deer Data Network. The reason they haven't done it yet is because uh, they felt that someone that wasn't certified might try and put in a software that wasn't approved yet. These tractors are huge, right? They're over 40,000 pounds uh, going 20 miles down the highway. And you don't want something to go wrong when you're driving that fast with something that heavy. And so that was one of their worries is if someone that's not certified to work on John Deere equipment accidentally doing something wrong or installing something that wasn't pre-approved by Deere 
Dear executives said that only 2% of problems require the separate software, which only certified technicians have been able to use. But according to FTC complaints, a review of diagnostic manuals for some machines show that the connection with 90% of error messages instruct farmers to have the John Deere dealership repair it or look at it as soon as possible. Is there, I don't know if you know this, but is there like a warranty for that stuff? So like they'll... For the like tractor so- itself? Or for, like, the software. For the software. Like, so if it malfunctions or something's wrong with it. I would assume so. Like, if you're buying new. I would, that's what I would think, too. Or if you're already buying something, like, quote-unquote refurbished, right? Yeah. Or used even, probably. Just because it is their software and they're selling it to you. Unless it's, they're selling it as is. But I I would assume for at least the first year, you know? You would but, think so. But that's also something... Like, if you're buying a 2022 tractor, you would obviously want a warranty on it. So they probably, if it's not automatically on the price, they would probably at least offer it. But I think this is more for, like, the, not older, but the tractors that have the older software that someone's already owned for five years mm-hmm. and are like, I'm tired of taking this to a John Deere or a John Deere dealership to have it fixed. I want to fix it at home because it could be something simple. I can understand where Deere was coming from with like, we don't want something to ha- just go wrong because a certified technician hadn't looked at it because it is all connected to computers and sensors and internet. So if something were to go wrong, I, again, that's a huge piece of equipment for it to go wrong with. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of their worries, it says, was that because John Deere has a long history of innovation, that the repair sources um, haven't been like available to um, teach to people that aren't certified. Because obviously you want to like get your people out there first, which is, you know, that that's fair. I mean, it's your company. You want to uh, have people bring it back to the company to fix it. But that was by Deer Chief Technology Officer Jamie Hindman. Mm. And he says that he's just worried that users could accidentally lose control of their machines if they make uncertain changes to their software. Well, and a lot of that is like pretty complicated stuff, especially if you're not used to computers in the first place. A lot of it does take time to get to know how the different like programming stuff works because it's I mean it's not easy obviously so and like if one little number whatever is wrong in it it can mess up the whole program yeah well and like a lot of these sensors like the deer tractor will just stall if something is wrong with it or if it senses something wrong in the environment and then so it'll just like shut itself down so that you're not breaking (laughs) the equipment more but if something if you were to go and try and fix something you might mess up one of those sensors and either make it so it doesn't try and start again or that it it doesn't read those surrounding environments anymore and it could break the equipment even more. Mm-hmm. So I get where deer is coming from, but I can also see where people are getting frustrated because pe- farmers have had a history of being able to fix their own equipment and now we're getting it to be technical and or computer technical yeah. and um, people aren't able to fix their own equipment. So I can see both sides. I can see the frustration on both sides, um, but that's like you said, is, are you really willing to accidentally mess up a computer chip? And then you have to replace the whole thing. Go. Speaking of John Deere, I have an article from USA Today about John Deere rolling out a plan for their self-driving tractors and other vehicles. 
And we've heard this over the last year. They were like, we're going to get you driverless tractors. And now that we actually have an end in sight, it's nice to see. But with the right to repair lawsuits that are going on, I'm kind of weary of how that's going to affect people being able to repair these kind of tractors because they're going to have even more technology in in the system because the person won't be driving them. My worry is I I I see that worry. Um I just kind of get frustrated because like we saw with Tesla where one of the buyers like got mad and made a tweet at what's his name elon, elon musk. musk elon musk and so elon musk has shut down his car oh because yeah they have access to all of it and that's you know going on to um ethics more than anything but it's also like did you buy the product or did you just buy the right to use it. it yeah so i don't know also with the autonomous tractor they already have self-steering mm-hmm they already go off of GPS for the self-steering, so I don't know how much of a bigger step it is, you know? I like, think it would be more so of the people that have the larger acreage that need to be plowing and planting, like, 24-7 for that those four nice days in the spring. Yeah, but you still have to have someone there. Yeah, and with these kind of tractors, the article says... The USAT article said that you don't have to watch them because they're fully automatic. And I'm you weary about that. You still should, just in case. Yeah, that's yes. my thing. It's a half a million dollar tractor. Right. You're just letting it okay, go. See, go. Here's, yeah. here's, here's my thing. Like, it's like babysitting a 10-year-old. Like, yeah, they're old enough to take care of themselves. But someone should probably still be there to supervise because mm-hmm. sometimes things don't always go perfect. Well, I was yeah. going to say, what if, like, it stops planting? Yeah. But the sensors didn't pick it up, so it's just driving the field. You're like, oh. It's a waste of time and money and gas. Yeah. Yeah. And you just compacted the soil. Yeah. Driving over it. And then there's also, like, the random crick bed that just appeared. Or the badger appeared, hole. Or the badger hole. So, sure, sensors and stuff should be able to pick that up and, like, tell you. I'm assuming it'll send you a text message if it's that far advanced. And I don't know if I would let, you know, a half-million-dollar tractor just, okay, I'll come back in 18 hours. Because, like, it'll probably go over into your neighbor's field or something. <laughs> because GPSs aren't 100% correct all the time either. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll start farming the ditch, which a lot of people already do. I didn't say that. Um, but... <laughs> You know, or a fence post is down. Well, now you just took out the whole fence. Yeah. I don't know about that one. You know, it's like like Roombas, you know, like they do their thing, but then they'll get stuck on like a sock under the couch. And then you're like, (laughs) where's the Roomba? You know, you don't want to. Or it sends you a text text, like stuck on a cliff or something. And it's like. No, ours ours is the old fashioned one. It don't text. (laughs) It's just, you just got to find her when she's gone. You're just like, here, Roomba, where'd you go? (laughs) Come out. You don't want to be looking for a tractor that's just like (laughs) (laughs) you show up thinking it's gonna be done you're like (laughs) also dead battery now what are you gonna do it's not sending off a gps signal yikes gotta go hunting for that puppy (laughs) i i you would think someone would call be like there's a tractor driving itself around the county um it's going through (laughs) fences i'm confused yeah i think i don't know if you could 
fully go without someone at least watching it. Yeah. Maybe not in it, but just, or just watching checking it. checking up on it every few hours. Yeah. Half hours, whatever. And if you're going to be doing that, commuting every couple hours to check on it, why not just sit in it? That's what people do with the steering and GPS now. Well, that's what I mean. You already have the auto steer, which yeah. you have to usually be in it anyway to like set the path or mm -hmm. whatever. But it's still, you're having to sit and watch. Yeah, it's an electronic. It's going to have an error. Which I can understand. It saves on it saves on uh, man labor because you're not paying someone to just sit there. Yeah, true. Because with auto steer, you're just paying someone to sit in there and make sure it's following the GPS. So I can understand that side. But it's still, I, I would not trust it to just let it go. It seems like an expensive accident waiting to happen. Mm -hmm. The article says that there are going to be six pairs of cameras on the driverless tractors, so you can have a 360-degree image, but... So and what granted, I'm hearing... And granted, we're like hating on these tractors right, right, right. right now. <laughs> I'm sure they've done a lot of testing to like ensure that it's okay and runs smoothly and everything. But you know, some like stuff happens. It's technology. Stuff happens. But what I'm hearing is they get to play Farm Simulator, but in real life. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just gave me the biggest eye roll. I've played Farming Simulator like twice in my life, but there's some there's some farmers out there that would be like all over that. This is a little off topic, but it's just like the people that buy video games that are like, oh, I'm going to mow the lawn. Like, why? Just go mow your lawn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what if you're not allowed to mow your lawn? <laughs> oh, poor Claire. <laughs> just put you on a zero turn. <laughs> Those are so nice. We have one. That is why I'm not allowed to mow the lawn, Agnes. <laughs> also, I, my dad is, like, obsessed with mowing the lawn, so it's not a, it, he loves it so much, I wouldn't want to take that joy away from him. <laughs> I absolutely love mowing the lawn because it's, like, four hours out of the day where I just get to sit, drive around, and listen to music on full blast. No one speaks to me. And since we have a lot of grass around our house, we can usually uh, get two mowers done. So one person will mow around the house and then the other one will mow around Quonsus and tractors because mm -hmm. we have a bunch of salvage stuff around. And it's just, you know, four to six hours of complete peace. But that was a little off topic. <laughs> I think you had an, another article, but for alfalfa, alfalfa weevils. Yeah. Um, this is just an article by Shelby uh, Varnier of K-State Research and Extension. And it says Jeff Whit uh, Whitworth, of an entomologist at Kansas State University, said that farmers should be looking in their alfalfa fields for weevils this year, especially as, you know, spring is just coming up. And so alfalfa is going to be taking off pretty soon. Just making sure that uh, you can catch it before it gets really bad. Adults come onto alfalfa fields in late, late summer, early fall, and they start uh, laying eggs on the stems of the alfalfa. Eggs will hatch about 300 growing degree days later. Later, and which, if you don't know what a growing <laughs> growing degree day is, it's a physio physiological measurement of temperatures. It's just like, how do I even explain this? It's a range of temperatures that um, is best for growing for a certain crop. So I think corn, it's like, uh, I think the growing degree days for corn is 85 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit. And corn, according to agupdate.com, uh, requires a minimum of 125 growing degree days to emerge. That, For me, but... it's like 60 to 90 degrees. <laughs> 
Yeah, but the difference is you don't grow taller. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to formally apologize to Claire. (laughs) I can't wait to go through the laugh reel at the end (laughs) end of the year. But yeah, it's been a while since I've um, studied growing degree days. I did that when I was in plant science like three years ago. But these uh, weevils will hatch. Ooh, these weevils will hatch um, in about now, April, uh, into April, into the beginning parts of May. Um, but uh, alfalfa weevils leave behind tiny holes about the size of a pinprick uh, on the leaves of an alfalfa plant. And according to Whitworth, those holes have started to show up on plants, indicating that they're starting to hatch. Which means you'll need to go out and start scouting your fields, um, you know, just driving randomly through it, getting out, looking, or walking. A lot of people prefer to walk, especially on growing alfalfa. And just making sure that um, your plants are healthy, because if you notice one plant, that means they're starting to hatch and you're about to have a bigger problem. Um, Whitworth recommends that producers wait until there are 30 to 50% infestation of alfalfa weeds on the field before deciding to spray. Um, That's just so you can get a majority of the weevils and um, to make sure to test the infestation levels, pick stems, and then vigorously shake them into a white bucket to count the number of larvae that fall off. Um, He also says don't go out there too early and spray because the insecticides only last about 10 to 14 days um, and you might miss uh, when they're out on the plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also recommends checking the weather forecast before treating for weevils. Anytime the temperature gets down to the mid-20s, the young larvae will be killed. Um, and if rain is in the forecast for the next three to four days, he suggests holding off on spraying because you want that spray to stay on the plant as long as possible. And with rain or any type of precipitation, it'll wash off. Uh, That article, by the way, was from agupdate.com, which is also the Midwest Messenger. Um, I do have a, uh, I also have two other articles from uh, Iowa Farmer Today, which is also on agupdate.com. And it's talking about um, not necessarily a new disease, but it is a virus that veterinarians are beginning to investigate more. Um, So uh, specifically in Iowa, central Iowa pork production facilities have been battling an aggressive bacterial strain, which has been called APP. Sorry, Um, the actual name is very long and I know I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, Um, but it has shown up in nine central Iowa pork production facilities since late November and it it attacks a pig's respiratory system and can cause death quickly after the first symptoms emerge. Um, so this bacteria, according to the Swine Health Information Center, is trying to kind of get clues onto how it's spreading because, again, it's only been noticed in a few Iowa facilities. The U.S. industry has dealt with this strain, or not necessarily this specific strain, but a, a lot of different strains of APP since the 1960s, said Marcelo Almedia. Almeida. The U.S. pork industry has dealt with numbers of stereotypes or strains APP since 1960s. Although it hasn't really caused problems in the past, this new strain is showing like 70 to 80 cases of APP in pigs every year. Um, and again, it has a morality mortality rate of 50% in affected herds. And so that's a, a pretty serious virus that they're looking into. It says that it has affected production systems within a 20-mile radius. So is it like... 
spreading through different facilities or is it just like in one location type of deal? Um, well, it says it's in, what did I say? In Central in like, Iowa, right? In Central Iowa. But I didn't Iowa. know if it was like different producers or just one with oh, that's several, true. you know what I mean? Several different operations. I didn't. Well, it says, wasn't very specific. Yeah. Like this specific one has shown up in nine pork production systems. So I'm assuming it's like different, faci- not facilities, but different owners. Okay. And then, um, but APP has been in like all across the yeah, U.S. Yeah, yeah. The bacteria most often spread through uh, physical contact and generally do not survive long in the environment. But bacteria can be treated with an injectable antibiotic. Uh, however, the disease strikes so quickly that pigs usually die within hours of showing the first symptom, which are fever, coughing, and open mouth breathing. So uh, Iowa vets are obviously looking into how they can protect other farms and other uh, herds from the virus, um, trying to, you know, figure out which biocontainment procedures work the best on preventing the spread. And another strain or another virus that has been popping up again is PRRS, uh, which is the porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome, uh, which is, again, causing a lot of concern for hog farmers. Uh, The strain 144 strain of PRRS originated in Minnesota and Iowa and has been hitting Nebraska. It says, while truck traffic is literally spreading the virus across the country, Nebraska extension educator Benny Moat said that we have underestimated the spread of the small virus by wind. Um, So the strong winds that came through last year in December, it's brought um, this infection over. Uh, It was carried through that storm. And so now it's Uh, in Nebraska. PRRS is easily transmittable with fairly high morality and more mortality. Mortality and more... It's morbid. (laughs) The virus itself is not typically um, the cause of death, but it's the after effects, which is usually pneumonia, which causes the death. PRRS is easily mutatable, so um, it's it's really hard to keep in check. This article from Ag Update says that although antibiotics can decrease the mortality rate, it says although an- antibiotics can de- decrease the mortality rate, um, it cannot cure a virus such as PRRS. Um, Dr. Matt Finch, a veterinarian with the Suede Health and Production, which is swine uh, health and production, serves hog farms in Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wisconsin, said that herd immunity and vaccination status among the severity of the outbreaks are um, affected largely on individual farms. So a lot of the vaccinated pigs improve their performance, which the vaccination trials are from uh, modified live virus vaccines, and the uh, vaccine efficiency uh, is less than a 90% match, but that's still a fairly good show for a vaccine. I guess those two uh, viruses, the PRRS and APP, and APP are something that should probably keep an eye out on, although the APP is you know, mostly held off in Iowa right now. PRRS is definitely something that uh, pork producers should be uh, keeping an eye out for. A little bit closer to home. Uh, We definitely don't need another outbreak, especially when we're having avian flu right now, because I don't, we don't need another swine flu outbreak either. So, Um, but I guess that's going to wrap up this week's podcast. Tune in next Thursday at three for more Ag Knowledge. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ag Knowledge. 
This podcast was created by Agnes Kurtzels, Claire Horning, and Whitney Winter as part of radio production workshop at Wayne State College. Listen to KWSC 91.9 The Cat on the TuneIn app. Previous episodes can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes are released on Fridays to these and other platforms. Music is Surf Day by Marcos H. Blanos, found on freemusicarchives.org. The song was edited for the use of this podcast.